off with our now familiar Alvin Lee lyrics from 40 years ago. <laughs> world love to change the world. Don't know what to do. We know what to do these days, so we're a little bit ahead of Alvin. Uh, he's unfortunately uh, uh, down in the ground and uh, doesn't get to participate or understand the things that are happening in the world today. Sorry for Alvin. He certainly had a lot of foresight. Um, Roger sails with you, of course, on Thursday. Uh, 28th is the date of the show today, and um, of course it's the Radio Ranch, what we call our little get-together here for all you cowboys, cowgirls, and ranch hands. And uh, a lot of things to talk about today. I was kind of surprising Chris isn't already here, but I'm sure he's going to join in. Uh, I had asked uh, Thomas from Texas. Uh, to call in today because we had a conversation last night. I'd like to discuss some of that. Um, And I don't know whether to be prejudicial or or, or a little presumptuous here and say that it appears that they're throwing roadblocks up again at the Department of State on people's passport uh, requests and admission. uh, 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 What do they call it? When you're applying for a passport. Uh, we've got two instances now. One is Thomas and the other is Chris. And uh, m- both of them may be kind of unique in a sense. So I um, I hesitate to say it's an across-the-board effort by state. But uh, it's kind of unusual. And, and hopefully we'll get, we'll get Thomas on. I'd rather have him talk about it than sit here and tell you about it myself. Uh, lots of other things happening, really, uh, uh, of great import. Um well, look there. Here comes Shane. All right, ding, ding. Well, I should have just not answered it and let that very pleasant tone irritate us for a while. Uh, Shane, welcome to the show, man. Are you there with us today? Yes, I'm here. There you are. You sound pretty I'm good, too, man. For you, yes. Ready for me? Thanks. Oh, man, you must Oh, be... yeah, well, I'm ready for the show. All right, well, me uh, too. Not, not necessarily for you, but not ready for the show. Okay. We have well, a lot of stuff to uh, go through today. And also, I'd like to get some in, input on what I, my belief is in regards to, uh, as it says in the Bible, to pay off all debts. Mm. Well, pay, pay off all debts. So. Yes, well, that's a very good thing so, for anybody uh, to do, and I would highly encourage anybody to do that that can. I think there's a number of reasons for that, but I appreciate you bringing it up today, Shane. Did you have any particular, have you, have you paid yourself out of debt all, all of a sudden or something? No, no, actually, I'm still deep in it, I guess, in debt, um, but I did go to Apple, actually Apple, and I did urinate on the uh on the, shrub. on the shrubs. Well, good. Well, that means yeah. you're ahead of the game. Um, yeah. uh, you know, it's interesting. For for me, I haven't been in debt for many years, uh, over 20. Yeah. When I say many, that's pretty good. pretty good while. Let's see. Here comes yeah. Mr. Cave joining us here. As anticipated, Mr. Cave is with us. Hey, Chris. Um well, good morning to you, sir. Good morning, sir. Uh, Shane is on. Was just asking me a question that uh, caused me to reflect a bit here about debt. 
And, you know, personally, for me, one of the reasons I think I've accomplished what I've been able to accomplish is because for 20 years I haven't been in debt. Uh, and it's only here in the last year, a little less than a year now, since this uh, expecting to fly incident came up across me when I leapt out of that second story window and, uh, and it has it really has had a disastrous effect on my life I'm hoping that you know they uh, there's an old saying Chris you know at Christmas and you're, you're talking to your son or daughter you know and you go listen just leave your hand down in that stocking long enough and you'll pull a pony out of there <laughs> and so I keep hoping that, that I'm able to pull a pony out of this. But uh, for the first time in my life, I'm in debt because the damn insurance company went bankrupt on me and left me hanging and holding the whole bag That's an on that whole way thing. of abating their responsibilities, isn't it? Oh, man, I'll <laughs> tell you. And, 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 of course, it was a state-approved insurance company for insurance that I had to have to get residency. And then the, the, the insurance company goes out of business. And, hell, the state may be going out of business, too. They're, Ecuador's uh, trying to get $10 billion out of the in, uh, International Monetary Fund right now. They laid off... Uh, and, and and with that quote-unquote loan, and we all know uh, about how the IMF operates, with that quote-unquote loan, then that means they have to adhere to this thing called austerity. And so the first requirement mm. of austerity was the guy had to come in and cut loose 10,000 state employees. And uh, Ecuador's... Uh, I know, would be guessing they probably have a better chance of getting a pony, Roger. <laughs> <laughs> they may they may have a better chance it might be a spot it might be a paint you know but uh <laughs> but uh regardless uh, being in, being out of debt is a wonderful thing and it's not what it where it really where the rubber meets the road Shane let me preface it another way where the rubber meets the road on being out of debt is that you're not constantly worried about paying bills. How am I going to pay this? How am I going to pay that? I got to go out and hustle this. I got to go out and hustle that or, you know, whatever. And it allows you to concentrate 100% on the things that interest you that you're trying to accomplish. And as I said, I think part of that windfall that hit me 20 years or so ago was the fact that it gave me all of that time to totally concentrate on this stuff to do the research to sit there and ponder things to because it takes a lot of thought and you guys that are trying to understand this you a lot of you have one hell of a hard time understanding this imagine trying to initially go through and put it together Okay, so that is, as I look back, one of the things that I attribute to, to my success, whatever successes I've had, is because of the fact that I had a lot of time that wasn't spent having to go out and chase the Federal Reserve note. And it's a real blessing, you know, uh, to get out of debt. Um, so that, uh, that being said... Um, well, last night... Uh-oh. Last night I got a huge art, well, not argument, but um, there's a Jew who works for a bank, and she refuses to accept the word U.S. national. A non-resident alien. Well, now hold on, hold on, Shane. Now hold on. This this is why this is why I get on here and tell y'all that you got to have the information. The only place yes. that you are yes. considered a non-resident alien is in the tax code. It doesn't apply anywhere else. Yeah. Okay? 
And mm-hmm. well, what? Uh, all right, give me some background here, Shane. You got into a discussion. Were you trying to open an account? Did you run across this girl? Was she urinating on Apple? Uh, was she hedges too? And you guys got in a conversation, <laughs> or, or, or how did this all come about? She only, yeah, she, she, she almost caught me. But the thing is, is um, she is my friend's wife, and she was there simply because she's there because that's pretty much where they live. Um, not Where? necessarily at Apple, but they live like right off the the cusps of uh, Apple buildings. Okay. And so, and then yeah, I'm out there talking to him. So you as know, as well as Jose, and then uh, Skip shows up, and yeah, she just starts saying that oh, she doesn't believe that you know U.S. national has uh, any type of I don't know priority in um, in. <coughs> Being a U.S. Um, a status, well, the status of people. Well, listen, there's she, a lot of you're a citizen. You're a citizen. You're a citizen. You're a citizen. Well, she's well, right. No, I'm not a citizen. No, you are a citizen. A capital uh, well, C, Shane. You are a citizen. You're a capital C citizen of the United States of America, okay. as let, set forth in the Declaration of Independence, written by a guy named Thomas Jefferson. See, this is why I tell y'all, I know it's intricate, I know it's confusing, but you got to have command of this information. You got to know it. You got to make it yours. So, yes, she's right. She's she's right. You know, you are a citizen, all right? But what she, and if she doesn't believe it, it doesn't make any difference. A lot of people don't believe it. Hell, you ought to see the people that have talked to me over the last seven, eight, ten years. Okay, a whole lot of people don't believe it. For yeah. one thing, is because they can't believe it, because they've been so conditioned to think this is a una status, and it's not a una status. And if you want to go over and and show it to her, grab a passport application and show her the damn oath. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, may I chime in? Yes, Chris, please. I still say that we have to consider the potentiality that even Mr. Jefferson, um, even Franklin and Payne and some of those other guys, the founding scoundrels, may have had insight into the etymological origination from whence the word term citizen derived explicitly. I I think you're right, and I think that's the reason they capitalized it. Well, perhaps, but if we look deeper and realize it comes from the Just Civilis, the city law of Rome, Justinian's Code, right. from the combination of city and denizen, right. then that may cast a different light, no, and it does. may be a more dangerous label than most people give it consideration. Not, I don't think so, and I'm going to tell you why, because the attributes that you just mentioned are assigned to the word citizen, and it has a small c, as in the 14th Amendment. Well, and I, I don't dispute that there could have been an alternative perception of the meaning of the word at the founding of the country. Well, Maybe they, they were deceived by the no. bar Leicester's of England no. or the British crown or the Zionist controlled British crown of the Corban king. No, don't think so. 
I'm personally, for me, I don't think so, and I think that's why they designated it with a capital C in the original writings. Go look at the document. What other words are capitalized in that first paragraph or two of the Declaration of Independence, uh, Chris? What Very other true. words come right to mind to you that are capitalized in that document? They don't, you don't have any that come right to you. I can give you a couple right off. God, which is always capitalized. Rights, which is never hardly capitalized that you see. And duties is also has a capital D. Those three words and also citizen. There's four in the first paragraph. So he puts capital C citizen on a par with capital D duties, capital R rights, and capital G God. I don't think that's a coincidence. There is a potential extrapolation we could conclude from that description you just put forward, and that is that the capital letters relate to the natural law aspect of the na nature's God, and all the capitals have to do with the natural law of the Creator as opposed to man's law. Okay, as opposed to expect. Let's look at the first uh, almost 100 years of the country from 1776 to 1869. That's almost 100 years, right? For that 100 years, there was only one status in the country. What was it? Free and bond. No, no, there, 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 were, there, there was bond, but they were property and they were black slaves. They didn't have any rights of citizenship or into the political community. They were property. So in the first hundred years, what was the only status in the country? Common law. No, that's not a political status. That's what you get access to. The only status was a state citizen. There was no federal citizen. There were only state citizens. And by nature, in fact, that you were a state citizen, you were a citizen, capital C, of the nation, a citizen of the United States of America. Now, let's go back and define that and look into it a little bit more so we can get a nail on this, Chris, because you bring it up often, and I never have agreed with it, and I think that these are the reasons that my mind works this way because I know this substantive law that John taught. And I know the way the country was founded, you got your rights from the capital G God, and that's why you were a capital C citizen. And you owed your capital D duties back to that capital G God because he gave you the capital R rights. So you see how that all ties in together? And if that's the case, you were a citizen of the nation. A citizen of the nation correlative to a state citizen, what would you call it today? A U.S. national. That's why they put that label on it. You're a citizen of the nation, but you can only be a citizen of the nation if you're a citizen of the state because that's the way the country was founded. I can pull out, I got it right here if I take the time to go through it and read that Slaughterhouse Cases part again where it says there was a lot of discussion in the, in the public journals and in the square and in all the mediums of the day before the Civil War if a person who was born in the British, in, in the District of Columbia or the territories, they couldn't be citizens. If you were born and raised in the District of Columbia or any of those territories, you had no access to that term 
because you weren't a state citizen. So therefore, you weren't a national citizen. So that, and it, as it says in the slaughterhouse, to alleviate these conditions, the fact that these people who were within the country had no act of national, no way to get national citizenship, the 14th Amendment was contemplated. So it's right there, okay? And those capital letters, they capitalized them for a real important reason. I'm going to Bob joining us here, I think. If I, I, I didn't see your calling for I a minute, Bob. Go ahead, point My out. All right. Point, Chris is going to point for us. Go ahead, man, point. I said that that condition they're talking about is a disability. They are disabled from participating in the electoral process in the sovereign state nation. Correct. Because they are territorial subjects. Correct. And that's why they call it, if you go into the code and look at a U.S. national, what do they say? A U.S. national, this is Title Eight now, a U.S. national is someone born in uh, American Samoa, that other little bitty island I never can remember, or the outlying territories. Wayne. The outlying territories like Texas, Florida, where Bob is, California, where Shane is, and Nevada, I think, is where you are today, Chris. Okay. So that's why, listen, these little nitpicky minutia things are super important. That's why I continue to hammer on everybody here. You got to make this information yours. You can understand the big picture first, but you got to go down and understand some of the minutia. And it's only because Shane, again, back to the first of the show, that I've been out of out of debt for 20 years, and before that, for 10 years, I was in a position where I could work four to 16 hours a week and pay my bills. So I had plenty of time to uh, uh, to put towards the reading, studying, and even more importantly, thinking about. And I could have never differentiated what I just went over to you in the audience if I didn't know that damn basic formula, R plus D equals R and everything that follows it because now you're talking substantive law, okay? Hey, Bob, how you doing in South Florida today, bro? I'm... I'm windy, windy, windy. Been Good. windy the last few days. Got a wind advisory out. Feels okay. like Kansas. Uh oh. Anyway, Morning, Bob. that little island you always look for and can't remember is Swain's Island. Swain. Swain's Island. Ah, hold on, I got howling dogs out here. I'm gonna mute and cut them down. You guys talk for a second. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Swain's Island is the one that Roger stumbles over occasionally. I, I don't stumble over it because I never can remember it. <laughs> You know, I got a yeah, real. You know, you just, I I, I've, I got some kind of a mental block on the word Swain, and I don't know why. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's because it's so close. It might be because it's so close to Slain. Yeah, yeah the Swain's Island. I know you always have trouble with that one, and or Tetequai V to RC. I always want to call in when you can't find that one in your metal in your metal picture. But I, anyway, what I was actually calling in about was when you said. Uh, uh, the thing about the black slave, and I would just like to mention that, and you're well aware of it, I think it was probably just a slip of your tongue. It was. It wasn't necessarily black slaves. No, it was it white was slaves, slaves. Period. That's true. And, but we yeah, are... Exactly. Uh, and, of course, the irony is we were just talking yesterday about Michael Hoffman's book. They were white and they were slaves. <laughs> 
Yes, yes. I just wanted to point that out. But, you know, as the country got a little more seasoned, I don't know that there was as many white slaves. Probably in the early days, no doubt, but as it got a little more seasoned, those people were actually bond servants, okay? And many of them were grabbed off the streets of London because they were just ruffian kids going around causing trouble and shipped over there. But a lot of them bonded themselves into that position. Okay, so I'll volunteer to be your slave. What the who the Thomas? Thomas always that's called, called indentured servitude. Yes, it is, and and, and bond servant. You could say the same thing. Uh, Thomas always calls the wrong number. Let's see if I can bring him in here. Oh, now I gotta remember how to do this. Hey, boy, I'll tell you, it's a challenge. A okay, well, I'll get back with you in a second. We're about to get Mr. Maddox on, I think if Skype would cooperate, and as usual, it doesn't seem to want to. Uh, let's see if I can add him in here. It's magic. Oh, it's magic, all right. Uh, so, uh, yeah, but the, I, I, every, when you're talking to people, the idea when you say slavery, most people automatically think of, of black slavery, but you're absolutely right, no doubt. Uh, I got too many things going on, Bob. Okay, let's see. Yes, Mr. Maddox has joined us. Thomas, you always called my perp, my other number. I did what? You always call my other number. I got two numbers here. <laughs> and so. Oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, we'll have to designate them. But somebody that's okay. told me they tried to call. Somebody told me they tried to call the main uh, number on the website the other day, and it wasn't going through. So it wasn't, and that was on. That was on Tuesday of this week, and it was on Wednesday right. of last week, and that's a Skype problem somehow internally. Uh, so uh, obviously it's a intermittent problem, and it's not a daily deal. But the number for anybody that does want to join us here as we get into the meat of the conversation today is uh, you can call it. So the original Atlanta area code was 404, and it's 448 Four four eight fourteen twenty. That's pretty easy to remember, uh, and most of the time it gets through all right. And we can even merge calls now instead of the absolute atrocity of a couple of months ago where I had to field these calls and call them back. So it is getting better. Um, Thomas has joined us. Thomas called me last night, and uh, he's saying, "Hey man, I got this email from the Department of State, and they're wanting five more pieces of." of picture ID before they'll issue me my passport. Isn't that basically the gist of it, Thomas? Yeah, I'm looking at it. Uh, I was fixing to look it up on my email uh, right now and um, see what's going on. Um, see if I got a, a comment back from Virginia or you. Um, I, I did. I haven't commented back because I hadn't looked at it, but uh, you told me the gist of it last night, and I wanted to talk about it today. You did send it to me, but for those of you who try and contact me, it's at radioranch at mail.com, and I set that up so that we could use it over the air, okay, rather than give out my personal ones because here's what happens. The minute you give out your personal email address, everybody under the sun starts sending you spam. And so it clogs up those email addresses, and I try not to do that anymore. Uh, 
because I still got some residual stuff on a regular basis coming through there. Uh, but so radio ranch at mail.com. And the problem is I don't check it. I'm not on top of it as much as my regular email accounts. But as I said, Thomas called me, said he got this email from state. We discussed it a bit last night, uh, uh, just between ourselves. It immediately threw up a flag because Chris, who's on the call with us here today, is also experiencing some delays in acquiring his uh, passport, which he has every right to get, okay? And so uh, they've got every duty to issue, all right? So uh, Thomas and I, and the first thing that hit me when he called me and gave me the parameters of this email, we're going to get into a little bit of a discussion about it because I know that there's several people out there that are right on the cusp of submitting affidavits with passport applications. And I don't want to take situations that are unique and apply them generally when it might not be the case. Chris, and I'm sure Chris will be in full agreement of me here, is a unique individual in unique circumstances. <laughs> you said a mouthful. <laughs> okay, so I got agreement on that. Thomas, I think your situation, now that I had a chance to think about what we went over last night in our conversation, I think yours may, it may in parentheses, also be somewhat unique. So that's why I wanted you to come on today so we could discuss it. When Thomas called me last night and he said, they're wanting this, they're going to, before they give me a passport. Well, the first thing that hit me was this the second time this has come up in seven, eight years, however long it's been. The first time was uh, the second black guy that we ever had that sent in a application under Brown v. Board, okay? And he was a guy, I don't remember his name right off the bat. It's been a number of years. And he had been in Atlanta. He used to live out in Austell, which is the northwest part of Atlanta out there. He lived in Austell. He was married, had a family, got divorced, moved to Mississippi, went off and got a a place that he built totally off the grid. And somehow he heard my message and called in, wanted to do it. I helped him. He submitted the application and he got the same letter back. He didn't get an email in those days. He got the same letter back from the Secretary of State's office in New Orleans. He was in Mississippi saying they required five or six more pieces of identification. Now, I honestly don't remember if they required picture ID as if that they're evidently asking you. But they did require five or six, and I'm not sure which one it was, additional verifications of, of ID. And so he left Mississippi, drove back to Austell, Georgia, pretty good, nice little drive there through the south, drove back over to Austell because he had a bunch of his personal stuff in a, in a storage unit. And he spent an entire weekend going through that storage unit and going through paperwork and damned if he didn't find what they were requiring. And he went back and submitted them, got his passport. He said, I'm out of here. I'm coming to Argentina <laughs> and moved down to Buenos Aires. And I met him in BA one time, okay? So uh, there is a precedent here. But when Thomas, you and I were talking last night, you have not had a driver's license for a number of years? Since uh, 2013. Okay, so it's been about five years, right? 
Um, when you went in to apply with, and you got to apply with, with somebody, an administrative agent, and if it's not an agent at the post office when you're filling this out, they want you to go to a judge so you can sign it in front of him. So obviously, they take this pretty seriously. Did you do it at the post office? Yeah, I did it at the post office with the uh, person that does the passports there. Right. They've always got a designated person to do it. Now, when they came to that part in interacting with this guy and they said, we need a picture ID, what did you show them? I didn't show them anything. Did you have someone with you who's known you for two years that did have a picture ID? No. Okay, well, then he's violated his uh, regulations. You got to have a picture ID upon application, and if you do not have one, you have to have someone with you who's known you for two years that had one, and the reason I know that is because when I did it, the guy at the post office, I'll tell, let me tell this story, okay? I can tell it better in a story form. I, I saw that. I had a Tennessee driver's license at that point. I'd gone up to Tennessee in the backwoods of Tennessee and gotten a driver's license, and so... Um, living in Atlanta, and I didn't want to show the driver's license at that point because I knew it referenced and 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 confirmed residency. Okay, so so I brought a girl that I knew there. I'd known her for a couple of years in Panama City, and she's very attractive. And I brought her. We didn't have anything going, and I uh, brought her. I said, "Will you go in there with me to do this because of this requirement?" And she said, "Yes." And so the post office in Panama City, Little Bay County, is a real nice post office. It was built back in the Works Progress uh, Association days of FDR. And it's real nice. It's stone. It's got all kind of nice stuff in there. And when you walk in, the passport booth, if you will, the little office for that same guy that's assigned to this was over away from all the postal tellers. So we walked over there, and the guy's standing there. He's kind of about six foot three or four. He's kind of a big guy. And we walk in the door, and we're walking over there to his little cubbyhole, his little office deal, and he looks at the girl. He doesn't even look at me. He lo- Of course. He looks at the female, and he says, this guy knows what he's doing before we even reached his, his, his little desk, okay? And the reason he said that is because I had a stack of paperwork, in my hands, okay? And most people come in with a birth certificate. Boom, that's about it. I come in with this stack of paperwork, see? And he looks over at her, and he goes, this guy knows what he's doing. That was his remark. I'll never forget it. And I said, yeah, I do, actually. And so we got up there to the desk, and we start going through all the questions. And he comes to that thing. He says, well, I need a picture ID. And I said, well, I don't have one, and that's the reason this lovely blonde is with me here because I've known her for two years, and it says right in your instructions that if I don't have a picture ID, I can bring someone with me that does have one that's known me for two years. Now, this, this is interesting right here because here it starts getting interesting. And he looks at me and he says, I don't have to accept that. And he reaches around and pulls from the third shelf on the top behind him this big red three-ring binder. And it's so heavy and it's so big, when it hits the, the counter, it goes ploop, you know. And he starts opening it up and thumbing through it, and he goes, 
It says right here that I don't have to accept that and I can make you get one and I'm gonna make you get one. That's what he told me. And so at that point, and this is something I'm gonna suggest to you, Thomas. At that point, she turns to me and she said, why don't we go get Florida State IDs? I just got them for my kids two weeks ago. And I go, you're on, okay? And so... Fortunately, in that small town, the driver's license uh, division there for the state of Florida is relatively close to the post office, a few blocks away. So we hop into the car and we drive over to the driver's license office. And there they got a gatekeeper that makes sure you got all this stuff right because you're going in to get a driver's license generally, but they also issue state IDs. And by that point, because I had a couple of blocks and a a little time to think about it, I had my five-page affidavit with me. I had my birth certificate with me. I had all the required paperwork. And that affidavit had been filed in the property office of Bay County, Florida, some 13 years before. And it had all the stamps on it, all the filing stamps, clerk of the court stamp, all that stuff was on it. And I showed it to the gatekeeper guy, and he goes, go on through. He didn't even hesitate, okay? So the first four or five people deal with driver's licenses, and the next four over there deal with state IDs. And at that point, Thomas, I want you to listen real close. At that point, I walked up to the counter with the lady for the IDs, and I didn't really, hi, how you doing, but I plopped down my affidavit on her counter. I didn't make any declarations. I didn't say anything. I plopped that affidavit on the counter. She grabs it, reaches over to a scanner that's beside her computer keyboard, and starts scanning in the five pages. Now, after she started doing that, she starts asking me the questions. Okay, and she goes, well, Mr. Sales, are you a citizen of the United States? I said, no. She goes, Mr. Sales, are you a resident? I said, no. Mr. Sales, this, Mr. Sales, that. Okay, that'll be $4. Get over, step over there and get your picture taken. And Thomas, I'm gonna tell you, at that, that was a seminal moment for me because the thing that hit me was John's teachings. And I sat there and I said, I'll be damned. It's all voluntary. They issued me a Florida State ID with a hologram. I got paid $4, and I walked out, went back to the post office, showed it to him. He went through the rest. He goes, okay, I need a Social Security number. I said, no, I'm not going to put it in there. And he said, they won't send you the passport if you don't have the number. And I said, you watch them. And I expedited it. So I had to pay extra. You have to pay overnight mail service to D.C. And about a few weeks later, it was a little longer at that point because that was the first summer, if you'll remember right, where they required uh, passports to leave the country to go to Canada, the Caribbean, or anywhere else. And they changed that rule at the last minute. And all these people that had summer travel plans swamped the passport office. So it took about... A little bit longer. I don't remember. It was it was a probably maybe even Chris seven weeks. Okay, and but I finally got it in the mail. So what did we learn? You got to have a picture ID, and if the clerk is is particularly 
uh, aggravated with you, he may make you go through that. But for you, since you don't have a state driver's license, I would suggest you go down and go through that exercise and get yourself a Texas state ID, picture ID, as a non-resident, non-citizen of the United States. So there's one. Uh, no, they want they Roger. Yeah. They want five year. They want five year old stuff. At least five year old stuff. They do they stipulate that in the email? Yes. That's an, that 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 is an impossible, more than likely accomplishment. You reckon? Okay, well, you know, but less, but look, you didn't have a picture ID when you applied and you told me you here, sent them for your, hold it, for your picture when you applied, what did you send them? I sent them... Um, the passport picture. A, yeah, yeah, the passport photo. Uh, I sent them... Uh, the affidavit out of the book, uh, retyped and uh, edited uh, for my situation, and uh, I sent them uh, some documents in 2015 to let them know that uh, basically it says about the same thing as the affidavit, but that my allegiance is to Texas and not uh, anyplace else. But uh, here, here's the first sentence. Thank you for your recent passport application. However, the identification you provided is not sufficient for passport purposes. Please submit photocopies of five, five in parentheses, or more personal documents which are five years okay. or older. Okay, they didn't say picture ID. They said personal picture. documents. Okay. So that is something. That that is something. Then they have, then they have a list of ideas. Oh, Roger, can you hear me? I hear you, Brian. We got you on there. Sorry. I also sent them my birth certificate with this, which that's a prerequisite or something. Oh, you got to have a birth certificate with it. Everybody that sends in an application for passport has to have a birth certificate with it, or they will not issue it to you. That's and I've right. learned that personally, That's too. Right. Yeah. Okay, well, and the, when I learned that was when I was in Argentina and my original passport got stolen, <clears throat> and I couldn't do jack crap in Argentina without a passport because I didn't have Argentina ID because I was illegal all the time I was there. I couldn't go to Western Union and get money. I couldn't do anything. So I had to get another passport. And when I called the embassy in Buenos Aires and they were going through it, they said, well, do you need an original copy of birth certificate. You know, everybody carries those with you everywhere you go, don't they? You got one in your back pocket, don't you, Bob? Okay. And so I said, and this is what I told them. I said, look, I just this passport's only two years old. You've got it in your files. And the gal lied to me. And she said, we destroy that. You can't destroy it. It's my administrative file. 
but they made me get one. And what I had to do was get a temporary one. They would issue me a temporary one for a year and I paid the full price and everything. And at the end, in, in that period of time of a year, if I went back with the original copy of the birth certificate, they'd give me a 10-year one. I wouldn't have to pay anymore. And I got 11 years of passport for payment of 10. And that's what happened, okay? But they would not issue it to me when they damn well had it in their files, I promise you. Yeah, and at, point, at this point now, it's interesting because they said, do you have an original copy of your birth certificate? And I said, no. And, they, and I said, you mean Obama doesn't have to have one? And I do. Because <laughs> there's all that controversy yeah. about Obama not having a birth certificate at that point, see? And so I, I threw that little zinger in on her. But I finally got it. So this seems to be the same obstacle or requirements that they gave to Des. That guy's name was Des. That they gave to Des in Mississippi so many years ago. And I think when, you, when we go over the story, you didn't have to present. The clerk at the post office didn't ask you to fulfill that requirement because you didn't have a, do you have a picture ID on you? Thomas. Nope. No, uh. Okay, so you couldn't have fulfilled the requirement if he'd asked you. At the post office. On well, the some, document that I sent them in 2015. Doesn't matter. 2015 doesn't doesn't make any difference what you sent them in 2015. It don't make crap difference. This no, is a, not, you didn't let me finish the sentence, Roger. Okay. You didn't, you didn't let me finish the sentence. Okay. It had the document that I included with my passport in 2015, which I included the day of my passport, uh, whatever you call that, uh, interrogation, had my picture on it. I said, this the Secretary of State of the United States and the President of the United States have both accepted this, and here's my picture on it. Well, you know, I, so I, that, I, that's why that doesn't make any difference. In the requirements for passport application, you have to have a picture ID or with somebody with you that's known you for two years that has one. It's right in the instructions, man. So the guy, when you applied, didn't yes. fulfill those requirements. You attached a picture that you'd gotten for them to put on your passport as your picture, and they're writing back and saying, we need some more, we need some more verification. That's what I see on it, on this situation. So that's why I say, I'm, I'm, as I thought about it last night, I don't know that this is a standard roadblock that they're going to throw up for everybody because both of you guys' situations have some unique attributes to it. But I wanted to give a heads up and discuss it today because I know there's several people that are considering doing this right now, okay? And my curiosity is, as I told you last night, are they getting hit with so many of these things up there that they're starting to throw these roadblocks out? 
That's my curiosity at this point, and I just don't know. But evidently, a, a number of people out there in the country are doing programs and working with people and having them file information with the Secretary of State now that this is out, okay? Like Anna Von Reitz, didn't you say that, Chris, didn't you say that a bunch of her people are filing something with the Secretary of State now? I did say they probably got well over a thousand. Okay, and you got that other guy that we were talking about there, and he's got some sort of yes, a program they're, where they're also applying documents of authenticity or so, you know, of their status. Shelby Smith at hisadvocates.org. Okay. Well, there's two other people. My my example is there's two other groups right there that are starting to have people send in affidavits, people from us, and, and what we do here are sending in affidavits. And I think that they're starting to get hit with a bunch of them. Now, the reason, as I told Thomas last night, and I've told this story before, but it's very insightful not only into this process that we're talking about but also into our patriot community how we think and how we do things that affidavit my five-page affidavit that john and glenn wrote and the 1200 students that paid to go through their course submitted that affidavit along with 1040 nrs to the irs let me say something real clear do not submit it to the IRS unless you first submitted it to state. If you are one of those stubborn Amen. people that insist on doing that, they're going to hit you with a $5,000 frivolous filing penalty. So if you want some more stuff on the, uh, on the bad side of the ledger with the IRS, you take this and send it to them first. Now, if you send it to the Secretary of State first and then send it to the IRS, first, yeah. you will get no $5,000 frivolous filing penalty. So we didn't know that back there. then. Hold on, Chris. We didn't know that back then. We all sent it to IRS. Back then we got $500 penalties. Now they're 5000 so in that process, and, the, and John and Glenn were teaching for six months only, in that process, 1,200 students went through the paid course. So there was 1,200 students who got that affidavit from John and Glenn and submitted it wrongly to the IRS in Philadelphia. When the feds came after John and Glenn in that couple of year ordeal before they sent them to federal prison for 15 and a half years, the U.S. attorney got up in court, in open court, and stated the IRS had received over 100,000 of them. Don't change. That's a lot. So from 1,200 to over 100,000. So in the seven or eight years that we've been doing this, now let me pose the question. Do you think the Secretary of State has gotten over 100,000 of these in seven years? I would imagine. Well, I would too. Okay. So uh, that's where we are, and that's some of the background on this, and that's why I say that I, I'm pretty sure they've gotten over 100,000 of them up there at State, and that's my reasons. Okay, 
But it may be that they, see, they don't have any defense. It's what I've been telling you all the whole time. They've got no defense for this because it's based on fraud. And that's why they can't do very much except send out that damn bluff letter. Has anybody personally or has anybody heard of anybody getting that affidavit turned down upon submission? Has anybody heard of somebody getting one back and saying, no, sorry, sucker, we can't accept this? Has that happened one time? I hear crickets. Nope. Okay. They accept them. They, they have to. Back your they have. <laughs> see, that's the point. They have to accept them. What do they call it internally? Your citizenship evidence. I guarantee you, the government doesn't use that nomenclature unless they know exactly what the hell they're saying. Because that's for them internally. It's citizenship evidence. Because a noteworthy curiosity. Yeah, go ahead, Chris. That I had happened to me personally about two years ago, when I was applying for my socialist slavery benefits at the Social Security office here in Las Vegas. I provided them with their application form and an affidavit and right. a notice of condition preceding. Right. Which they took and scanned, and the man of color who was taking my application was pretty curious and interested in the things I was telling him and thought I was a rather intriguing individual, but he didn't see very many of them in office. But he took them, and he told me the amount that I was getting, and I was <coughs> rather surprised at it pleasantly, but I told him I was going to withhold my excitement until I actually got the checks and had validation that that's what they were really going to send me. But it turned out to be what they really did send me, and I was pleasantly uh, astonished, quite frankly, compared to what other people I know get. And so I, I know that there are several different federal offices, Social Security, federal courts, and other places where my affidavit is at. Well, that's but fine. Nevertheless, I'm seeing some obstruction by the L.A. office, surprise, surprise, and the most corrupt, systemically tainted and beyond repair Ninth Circuit a cesspool of systemic corruption. Uh, they seem to be obstructing, although I did find a phone number for their administrative office for that particular one yesterday after serious searching for quite a while. It's not easy to find that number to get to that office to follow up. Right. Although I have been talking to some pretty highfalutin government offices in the past couple of days. DOJ, Secretary of State IG, Passport IG, uh, Department of Homeland Security. Well, I would say my personal experience, I was in Argentina when I put supply, applied for my Social Security. I became eligible at 62 down there. Well, if you're in a foreign country, you have to apply for Social Security through the embassy in the country you're in, period. So I did my application. I had my temporary passport. I sent them a copy of the affidavit, which I do in any correspondence I have with these creeps. 
okay? In any capacity, they get a copy of the affidavit. And I started getting my checks, and I've been getting them for eight years. Why? Because the Social Security is not a nexus to the system. Any citizen, capital C or small c, Chris, of any country in the world can contract with Social Security, send them that little pittance every month, they'll steal 90% of it, and after you turn eligible, they're going to send you what you're, what you're due. It's not the nexus to the system. Anybody in the world can do it. And they don't send IRS, OSA, OSHA, EPA, and all those other agencies out to ding them for, you know, having a, a wood-burning stove in their house in friggin' Siberia. So the first thing I'd say, Thomas, is I don't want to... Um, say that this is an across-the-board obstruction from them. I think your situation, now we delve into it a little bit and I thought about it, may have that unique, quote-unquote, unique aspects to it. Um, and uh, I'd say if you really search, you can probably fulfill their requirements. But in the interim, what do you do? The passport is not a big deal. The passport's an ex parte document. It says that that right there in that Supreme Court case from 181835. 18, it's got a lot of precedent. It's been standing a long time, almost 200 years. And it is not the passport. It is an ex parte, E-X, next word, P-A-R-T-E, another part, a separate part of the document. And as the Supreme Court case lays out in very clear language, it is the any type of documentation in the possession of the secretary, if admissible in a court of law, that should be considered the higher and better evidence. So my suggestion was to Thomas, and I'll put it out here on the air today, is to sit down and get that another copy of the affidavit and write a real nice little cover letter and say, would you please place my citizenship evidence? Use their terminology. Would you please paste my citizenship evidence, you might even put it in quotes, firmly and permanently in my administrative file and send it to them with a return receipt requested. And if you're not leaving the country, now at least you got your freedom. Now go find the, the stuff they're requiring and get it to them or else go take them to court and fight them over it. Does that make sense? Thomas, you weren't planning no response, on... You, you no response means consent. Silence deems consent. If you're not leaving the country immediately, it's not an absolute requirement. I know that people want it because it attaches identification, and you don't have a driver's license. It attaches the identification to that affidavit, which is in the administrative file. But if they give you crap about getting the passport like they're doing Thomas, at least the affidavit's in your administrative file, and you can always refer to to it. Now, I don't know, yeah, and I'll go ahead and drop some names here. Thomas went through uh, the program of Mr. Bork, L.B. Bork, isn't that his name? Yeah, what's his name? 
and you sent in his paperwork. I've never seen it, and I have no idea on its impact on Secretary of State. I have worked with this affidavit we use and that concept for almost 30 years, and I do know about it. Okay. Well, I guess that's what I'm going to have to do then because I don't think I can come up with five uh, IDs. No, that's, they don't uh, want. They didn't say IDs. They said somehow it, it, what they verbiage they did, an old bill, a something that they want, something that connects it to you, but it didn't say picture it said ID. Documents, not it said documents. Newspaper, magazine articles with your photo and name, newspaper name and date, uh, learner, uh, driver's license, school yearbook, photograph. Name. <laughs> Crazy. Well, hey, Roger, you know, like if I, I said, add to that. yeah, Brian, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to turn it right over card. to you. Hold on. The, if, if you can't produce that, you can take them to court. Okay, and those are the only options or else see if there's some sort of an administrative remedy inside the State Department and inquire about that on how you can get this resolved because you want that passport. So Medicare health insurance card. Yeah, Welfare all that. Card, man. Yeah. Well, hell, you were a slave, uh, man. They want they want proof you were a slave. <laughs> um, I would say for you know we've got a guy that contacted us yesterday right at the end of the show, Freedom, and 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 Freedom called in for the first time a few weeks back, and he said, "Hey, Roger, I've been." He said, "When I heard you seven years ago," and I said, "Well, I'm just going to sit back and watch and see how Roger does." Okay, so now he's he's thinking about filing the affidavit. But, you know, if, if you'd uh, done it five years ago, three years ago, whatever, you'd have had no problems, and there may be some problems now. I'm not saying there's going to be, but there may be. And that's the reason I wanted to have this discussion today and see if we could extrapolate all these facts and come up with something reasonable. And let's see, is this a knee-jerk reaction from the State Department because they're getting so damn many of those affidavits up there, which would make me smile ear to ear. It doesn't make Thomas smile or the people that are in that situation nope, smile. not smiling. No, but it makes me smile because I know we're having an effect, okay? Brian, one of my better students out of the seven years I've been doing this, he's your fellow Texan, and I believe you two have spoken, have you not? Yes, we have. How you doing, Brian? I'm good. I'm good, Roger. Uh, hola, everybody. Hey, I was going to chime in uh, a couple of things you mentioned um, on the state ID, and I can specifically speak for here in Texas as well as Idaho. Uh, they will not issue you a state ID unless you claim resident status, period. It's in their rules. Oh, is uh, they've changed it? You can look it up online. They've changed it. Yeah, they've changed it, and I'm, uh, and it's, it'll be that if it's changed in one state, it will be that oh, in every state. It I will would be because all – don't quote me. Well, they are because all those laws are uniform. When they say uniform, uniform commercial code, uniform building code, all that stuff. Correct. That means they can control yeah. it from the top down. Correct, because they're all sub-corporations of the parent corporation. They're, I mean, they're lock, stock, lock, stock, and barrel. But uh, real quick, so I, I, 
I, I, I'm pretty sure now because I was going to do that. I was going to. Uh, I got rid of my driver's license. Uh, I don't carry one, and I had lost my. Roger, you, you're aware of this. When I'd uh, come back from Florida, I'd lost somebody. Actually, somebody stole it out of my car. I think, but it just disappeared, and I had to get a new passport, which was a pain in the ass. So I went back in and. Um, and I went through the same process. They gave me a little beef up front. And then I got like a couple weeks later, I got a, remember I got a letter in the mail. They wanted four or five pieces of, uh, more additional information. And I had to submit, uh, I think I went back and found my, um, uh, an insurance license application that had my picture on it. And basically an ad mail. I used my college, uh, admissions paperwork. I used, uh, I think a prior electric bill. And just some other stuff, but I sent it back in, and bam, I got my uh, a new, you know, a new a new uh, passport shortly after that. But most importantly, I you know the affidavit, Les Roger has stated, is obviously the the most important evidence. That's the ex parte document. That's the evidence in your in your permanent file, and that's really all that matters. It really once is. Once that thing's, yeah, it, that's that's all it's based on. Once it's filed. Uh, then you can do just anything, literally any anybody you have any issue with, uh, you submit that thing. I'm Roger. You're aware of this. I'm trying to sell a piece of property. Yes. And, uh, they're 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 trying to attach a bunch of other stuff uh, so the state can withhold taxes and all this other stuff. So, uh, and they want you to admit that you're a non. Uh, what was a it a non? A foreign, foreign person. Yeah, a foreign person. And so, it's just another example of how they're. They want to try to get you to claim uh, jurisdiction through all these little traps. Yeah. But I think right. my point, point is once you have that affidavit done and filed and squared away, I, I would say there's maybe some other steps you can add to it um, at the property county record level as a deed of reconveyance, those things. But that's not part of the conversation. I'm just saying um, just getting your ducks in a row and all your paperwork so that when you have any of these damn issues, you, you got ground to stand on because otherwise they're just going to they're just going to chew your ass up. Okay, let's see. Thomas, let's take it right to your situation, and you don't have a driver's license. You're in the state of Texas, and you're driving along, and you get pulled over, and you get cited with speeding. Okay? Well, speeding and all those traffic laws are only written for citizens of the United States and residents. All right? So you go then to the prosecutor of the county, He's the one that decides cases that get sent to courts, the prosecutor, not the judge, okay? You go to the prosecutor and you tell him, this is my affidavit, it is on file with the Secretary of State, and if you continue to bring charges on this, I am going to request that it be admitted into evidence and it bypasses your rules of evidence, you can't stop it. And it states I'm not a citizen of the United States and resident, and so therefore the speeding charges cannot apply. You see how that's used? And, yeah. you, and you didn't have to have a passport to do all that, but you did have to have that affidavit in your administrative file with the Secretary of State. Because once it's there, once it's in their administrative system, in your records folder associated with you, now it can be admitted into any court and it bypasses the rules of evidence, which is the most important part, because that's how they keep crap out. Yeehaw. Yep. Hey, Roger. Yep. 
a something else to add to this, and this probably is the next step beyond that. You're aware of it. I should have done it in Idaho, but I've had now years to think it through, and I, I really do believe this is the way to get out of the is to further get out of the uh, the presumption that you're driving. So, for example, if you go and you do this affidavit, you sever that that presumption from the top, right? You do everything correct. Uh, let's say you get you surrender your driver's license, uh, or you you basically surrender your driver's license, or you keep your existing driver's license and walk in and and apply for a non-resident driver's license and challenge the system, do just like I did, and make them rebut everything and make them put in writing that they cannot issue you a non-resident driver's license. Therefore, you then have grounds to sue them, the governor, the lieutenant governor, or just put them on notice, right, via affidavit, the county sheriff, that, hey, look, I'm not a U.S. citizen, not a resident. Uh, your boss, the attorney general, and, uh, and the State Department agree and I'm not a resident, therefore you cannot deprive me of my right to travel. That's and true. I'm certainly not going to give up my right to travel to accept your jurisdiction and contract with you because there's the fraud right there. Yes, it They're is. They're trying to trick us into acquiescing no. and to consenting into surrendering no. our no. original right to travel and status. Let me, let me correct you on one little point. Let me just break one little point. The nexus is when you're born. All these other things where they ask Correct. you, are you a citizen of the United States? Are you a resident? And you sign something. All they're getting at that point, the nexus has already been formed. You were born. What they're getting now mm -hmm. is they're asking you, hey, Brian, hey, Thomas, are you a citizen of the United States under the scope and purview of the 14th Amendment? And you check it and you sign something. So you've given them your consent. And now they've got the consent of the government which makes the whole damn scheme constitutional. Correct. Correct. For Brian and everyone else on the call, I had the privilege of watching a very intriguing video by Eddie Craig, C-R-A-I-G, former law enforcement officer, on the right to travel yesterday. And he covered about 15 to 20 items that you do and don't do when you're in a traffic stop. And I was pleased that almost every one of those, maybe one or two minor ones, I didn't do, but I did on that so-called pretextual traffic stop back on June the 8th when they tried to kill me over that allegedly trying to evade a traffic control device uh, infraction insinuation. And I've rebutted all the presumptions. And I, at that day, that's why I didn't want to produce the officer body cam video because I challenged his authority for the pretextual emergency stop. I wanted him to produce the evidence of a felony crime. I did not give him my driving license. I showed a passport, and I wouldn't give it to him at all. He claimed I was obstructing justice. That's what they always do, threaten you, and so on and so forth. But I think it's a worthy video for anybody to look at. That's Eddie Craig on the right to travel. Chris, Chris, send me a link on that, and I'll stick it in the show I notes for today. Because this is, there's Absolutely. two big concerns. One is taxes, and the other is driving. We can get out of the tax issue fairly easily now, but the problem is if you're driving Local along, who's, who's rattling stuff in the background there? Somebody sounds like they're opening a piece of candy. 
Um, if you're driving along in one of these sub-100 IQ goons that's been over killing women and children in Iraq, pulls you over to the side, you've got a, a valid concern if you're going to try and get this litigated on the side of the road with that idiot, okay? And so I think Tom's... dangerous lot. Uh, absolutely, and I think Tom's approach to this that he came up with about a year or two ago may work. I don't know of anybody that's trying it, but I think it's got some viability, and that is you write out another little affidavit. I'm not... I have on this on file with the Secretary of State. I, I have to have a driver's license according to your laws, so I have had one, but I you cannot obstruct my right to travel travel, et cetera, et cetera, and you give that to the officer and sign the ticket, and they will take that to the prosecutor, and the prosecutor will never bring that case to court. I don't believe. Roger. Yes. Roger, let me add to that. That's exactly the process, and as I mentioned, it, it's just a step here, so let me quickly explain it, and it'll make sense, So, because I got this stuff diagrammed out because I've been walking in it and doing it, so... You file the affidavit. Brian, hold on. Stop for just a second. Yes. Brian is a perfect example of what I preach on here. You've got to make the information yours. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you got to be able to walk and talk this. And early on, hell, I was confused, but now it's, it's getting to the point where it's being teachable very easily. So you file the affidavit. You sever it from the top. Okay. Now, the, a piece of evidence that I, I believe that then they'll, regardless, uh, when you get dragged into a court, they'll still claim jurisdiction because they'll still say you have a birth certificate. So, I believe this may be a, an additional step. Get your, uh, you. Let's say you have a birth certificate. Use your birth certificate as the evidence to get your passport. Once you have the passport issued, you can always renew it. Don't ever let it lapse. But key is. I think this is the next step is to then revoke your original birth certificate with the corporation that owns it, surrender that original, go get a a certified, three certified copies, and surrender it with an affidavit stating that you surrendered. It's no longer yours. It's their property, uh, et cetera. That's another much deeper conversation, but we'll just, let me, let me finish here and then it'll make sense. But I think that's maybe another security mode because Remember, when even if we do all these things and we we have our everything in a line and we get pulled over and some jackass uh, uh, minutia mind cop basically arrests you or does something and writes you a bunch of tickets and tries to drag you in the court, the point is they're 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 going to rail, railroad you because they don't care and the lower courts don't have to do shit. It doesn't matter what you present. They're they're, they're lawless. There is no law whatsoever. Well, the only way to do it is to appeal it way up to a state court or et cetera. So. Well, you can, if either, you, go in, you can either appeal it or you can try and nip it in the bud where it doesn't get to court, and that's go have a conversation with this documentation with the prosecutor. He's the one that dictates. He's the one that dictates what court cases the judge hears, not the judge. The judge doesn't go through correct. and say, well, I'm going to hear this one. I'm not going to hear that one. That's the I prosecutor's agree. job. I agree. The whole the point here is to listen to the listen to the picture and then and then it'll make sense so file the affidavit there may be a way to basically surrender the the uh birth certificate that's another conversation on the SESKV trust way too deep right now once you've done that then put the affidavit actually go challenge 
the state for a non-resident driver's license. You have to play their game. You have to make them admit it and prove it. And I, I think that I've proved proven that. Are you once you, you get to that stage? And I'll do. I'll. I'm just about to enter that challenge here in Texas again. So once you do that, and you get them to admit it, then boom, you you affidavit the head of the Department of Transportation, the the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the sheriff, right, and yeah. the attorney general for that state, and say, look. I'm I'm a I'm a I'm 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 exhausting my judicial remedy here. I'm not a U.S. citizen, not a resident. I do not surrender my inalienable right to travel. You cannot issue me a non-resident driver's license. Therefore, you cannot uh, set me up. You cannot discriminate against me. You cannot hinder my right, etc. And I think once you get all that done, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. But then you you really do have standing. So the next time you get pulled over, you do just that. You've got the affidavit copy of the affidavit uh, submitted to all those named parties. You hand it to the cop, you give them your passport, and you basically hold it out the window and you say, I invoke my Fifth Amendment right, do not talk to me. Hand it to him. C- conversation's over. He can't ask you nothing. He can't harass you. He can't do nothing. He can't, uh, he can't throw the evidence away. If he writes you a ticket, so be it. Then put the steps in within 72 hours, uh, you know, uh, that you did not contract with it and submit the same affidavit and declare the whole thing fraud. I, I guarantee if we, if, if we get to this point, those bastards are, it's, it's done because then they can't say, well, it's this, it's that we have jurisdiction. No, you don't. Here's all the proof. So right. now, now, now I'm going to commercial lean your ass and I'm going to sue you personally. That's the step we got to get yep. to. And what we're doing here is being proactive. And I want to, I do disagree with you on one point, Brian. I don't think you have to revoke the birth certificate mm-hmm. because the whole thing is fraud. And the way they're using it and securitizing and collateralizing it is based on fraud. I agree. And once you hit them with that affidavit at state, the fraud's exposed and all those contracts are negated ab initio. So I think that step of just submitting the affidavit takes care of that. So the the birth certificate serves two purposes, one in their evil side, but it's also when that's negated, it's a representative form of your birth because now they can't come in and attach the property aspect and the 14th Amendment to it because you've negated it, the Secretary of State, in the affidavit. But if somebody wants to go through all that because it makes you sleep better at night, then you do it. Yep. Well, it makes me sleep better, and I'm just saying it's not for everybody, but maybe just another idea to add to the conversation is that affidavit could very well also contain a a section declaring what uh, that you're aware and declaring what that um, birth certificate actually is. It could. You and could basically put it right a, in annulling there. it right there. So yep. they're th- then they they accept it because they can't deny it. They're not going to address it, and they acquiesce and they accept and issue the passport. There now you have actual not only uh, the passport but evidence that you've declared that your birth certificate is a fraud and commit and created this bond and that accesses the SESCV trust or whatever trust. Who fucking cares? Pardon me. Oh, whoa, Who whoa, cares whoa, what whoa. trust? We could, <laughs> We could probably never find it, and that, that's not the point. But as long as you put it in the affidavit, then you got you got some uh, some an arsenal, more information in your arsenal. Yeah, that's you all I'm put, saying. I think it would be a put, good step to add. You could put a, something real simple in the affidavit. On my birth certificate does not evidence any evidence of voluntary servitude. 
Bingo. They put that sentence right in there and you're done. Okay. Now, Doug has joined us a couple minutes ago, and, and I want to uh, not, not, not recognize him. So, hey, Doug, what you got to add today, brother? Well, um, a I have a, a few comments, and then I got a couple of questions. Number one, uh, based on what has been presented here today, it might be a prudent idea to before you put in your passport application to already provide, have ready and provide uh, documentation of five documents that, and you can use divorce papers, uh, you know, court cases, etc., uh, utility bills, etc. And I think that might be a, uh, a prudent uh, way to, as a, uh, uh, a, um, to, to, well, it, I can't come up with the word, but in other words, to uh, uh, provide all the evidence, if they're changing what they're requiring, then you provide that ahead of time. Well, and that you might could. throw them off. I don't think, and that's why yeah. I wanted to have this discussion today, because on thinking about it last night and this morning, I think Thomas's situation is one of these unique situations. And I don't believe this is something they're going to be heaping on everybody. Okay? That's just what I feel at this point from what I know. So let's cross our fingers and hope that that's the case. However, but if, if that is a, a new tactic, why not just get, I mean, I've got documents uh, that I could uh, pull up that go back so many years. Yeah, but Doug, um, Doug. You know, that, marriage, marriage license? Doug, oh, go ahead. everybody doesn't have those readily available, and let's not get everybody scrambling around to this unless it's required. Now, the reason okay. that I, I suggest that you attach the, the affidavit with the passport application is because that passport form is expressly designed to keep you in the system, but they have to put in there that you can get out to keep it constitutional. Notice they don't ever ask you in the application what you are. It's presumed what you are, and you have to rebut the presumption. They don't ask you. They do ask you, however, what your parents were, don't they? Don't they say, my father was a citizen of the United States and my mother, and they got checks next to them? They ask you what your parents were, but they don't ask you what you were. They presume it. Why? Because it's the damn feudal system. If your parents were citizens of the United States voluntary in servitude, then their presumption is correct. You're born into that condition, but you have the chance to get out of it and volunteer out, and they put it right there in the warning box on the application. Now, why do they do that? Because they have to. If they didn't oh, tell okay. you that you had a way to opt out, it wouldn't be constitutional. True. But all I'm saying is, you know, if it's easily accessible, like you could even have, um, you could uh, contact 
people that have known you for five years, family, whatever, and they just write an affidavit. I know this uh, individual or man to be so-and-so for since da-da-da and uh, have that maybe in the, in, in the uh, backstage just ready there. I mean, I guess we'll find out if this is yeah, a well, pattern that they're now. Listen, Doug, that's exactly why we're having this program today. Because I want to get this out there, so if anybody is following through and wants to do this application and do a passport with it, if they get the same roadblocks, we want to know about it. Exactly. I guarantee you, listen, I guarantee you if somebody else gets that kind of a letter, I'll hear about it. And even in the work that I do, which is more on the physical um, construction realm, um, I I plan my plan and then I work my plan. So I think ahead on things that are not just simple fixes and uh, things like that. So I like to, I don't mind spending the time to uh, plan my plan and then apply my plan. Uh, so anyway, I just thought I'd, I'd put that out there. Now I have a couple of questions for my clarification, Roger. Okay, and great. it, uh, it has to do with, with these different filings or, or, or applications. Uh, let's say for the birth certificate, um, you said, uh, they want a, a uh, an original copy, but is it is that their wordage, or is that um, is it actually they want a copy no. of the original? They want what, what is, no, no, they won't take a copy of the original because I had one of those. I had my brother JPEG it and send it to me, and they would not accept it in Buenos Aires. I see. I they want see. the okay. state authenticated embossed stamp seal with bona fides from the state giving it authenticity to qualify it and i had gone i had gone to the state of florida before that and for 10 bucks they'll send you three copies yeah so then since i was born in massachusetts um the i would have to apply uh, or contact um the office there, would that be the Office of Records? I would say that or Vital Statistics, if I remember that may be it. Too. Yeah. Okay, and then I could uh, uh, ask them for so many um, original copies. Okay, and then uh, the other thing, which I'm kind of um, sketchy on, I don't understand it, is this area where I'm now living in Arkansas, but I was born and grew up in Massachusetts. Can right. you explain? Yeah, the, I, I can. And and, and I can. Um, and they they usually dic- dictate uh, place of birth. But, you know, this is a pretty mobile society we live in. Like Brian, he was in Texas, but he was up in Idaho and all that stuff. And I, I think if you've lived somewhere for a, a bit of time, maybe a year or whatever, I'm not sure of a time frame. I'm just throwing something out there that you could do it all where you live. 
okay? But I'll tell you how I handled this. Is Back then, we didn't have an answer to this question either. I'd been living in Georgia for, I don't know, 10, 15 years at that point, but I was back and forth to Florida all the time, so I just did it in both places. We not only filed it in the property records of both places, we actually put it in the legal organ and paid to have it put in the legal organ also. Oh, so that, that means um, for everybody else, that means like filing it in the legal where lawyers file yep. uh, whatever yep. for properties and, and Mar- the local newspaper. Marriage, divorce, in some places it's in the local newspaper. In some places that are too small or don't have a local newspaper, they have a thing that the lawyers in that community use, and it's called the legal organ. So what's the legal organ? Let me take this a step further and see if I can get you a little clarity here, Doug. What's the legal organ of the federal government? Uh, You got me. Federal Register. Okay. Now, what do they do in the Federal Register? Chris, some of you guys that have been in this for a while, what do they do in the Federal Register every day? They publish all kinds of rules, regulations, procedures pursuant to the Administrative Procedures Act, 5 United States Code 551. That's correct. Why do they publish them in the legal organ on a daily basis? Go to, you can go, go look up the Federal Register online, and if you are so bored on your coffee every morning that you don't know what you're doing, you can dial up the Federal <laughs> Register and go read all the proposed regulations every day. Why do they do that, pursuant Chris? Pursuant to regulation making Due process of law, notice an opportunity to respond and rebut or take exceptions with or make amendments thereto. Bingo! Compliant with due process of law and your uh, responsibility to be noticed and to respond and to take exceptions or not. Notice and the right to be heard. So that's the federal thing when they're putting regulations in there for all the agencies, interagency stuff, because a lot of those regulations are aimed at them. All regulations from the IRS are interpretive regulations. They're not substantive regulations because substantive regulations require due process, notice, and comment. That's due process. They're going to put it in there as a notice, and they're going to go so many days, and at the bottom of the proposed regulation, and it says at the top, notice of proposed rulemaking, okay, on those substantive regulations in the Federal Register. And at the bottom, they'll say, if you do not disagree, you have comments on this, this is the person you write at this address, boom, boom. There's your fulfillment of due process. That's the federal legal organ. Every city in the country has a legal organ that the local lawyers use. It may be the newspaper. It may be a separate publication. But that's why it's there is due process. So where do you want to file your affidavit? Where it fits into due process. Okay, so then uh, my question is, uh, <clears throat> you file your affidavit with the Secretary of the State of the United States, and then you, um, as far as l- uh, the state you're living in, uh, you would file with or send a notice once your affidavit is uh, not uh, unrebutted. Correct. 
Pardon me? Yes, yeah. correct. Uh, then uh, you would send a copy of that, as uh, I think it was Brian said, to the governor, the lieutenant governor, and the attorney general, and nope. then the sheriff. Nope, nope, nope. You left out the most important nope. one. You don't have to send it to oh. the governor. You don't have to send it to the to the attorney assistant governor. You don't even have to send it to the secretary of state of the state. But again, you can. That puts the whole state on notice that it's on file with the big guys in D.C. And if it makes you sleep better at night, you do it. Okay. So, and that basically satisfies all the legal requirements of, um, and lawful requirements of uh, your claim status. Yes. You've is, full, let's is, stay, hold it, Doug, pretty- let's put it another way. At that point, you've fulfilled all the requirements on the front end of due process. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, excellent. Um, thanks for that. Uh, <laughs> uh, so let, well, let's done. go. Let's go back yeah. to Thomas. Thomas, has this cleared anything up for you? This discussion. Uh, uh, no, just more questions. <laughs> just more of more. More, more studying and learning and uh, writing more stuff than um, sending out more letters. Well, you don't have to do that. But look, I've never submitted any of that stuff to anybody, okay? And most of the people that have submitted and gotten passports have never followed through on all that. But again, if it makes you sleep better at night, do it. Yeah, I... I just can't afford to be sitting in jail while these asshats, excuse my French, uh, decide to pull their tyrannical uh, They'd let, listen. nonsense. Now, well, they're, I, they're not going to do that in any circumstances where it means that you can bring that affidavit into a court. Now, you know, you may have heard, you may not have heard. We got one guy, listener, is the only person I know of that's ever gotten that affidavit into court. Have y'all heard this story? I'm sure some of you have, but it's worth reiterating, okay? He didn't submit it. He was in a child custody battle, and his ex-wife and their attorney who thought all this stuff was a bunch of crap actually entered my name and my book and all this stuff into court also. They submitted the affidavit, and it was accepted, and it's in evidence in the case. And he gets called to the stand, and he starts reading the affidavit because it's in evidence from the opposition. And he starts reading it, and the judge says, don't read that document (laughs) they do not want this information in any court I promise you hey Roger yes Doug yeah one of the tactics I used when I was in a, a my own personal as the uh, the claimant here um, in uh, Arkansas here, which went to the Supreme Court, was to 
every time they addressed, I put in a lot of evidence, a lot of documentary evidence, and every time the judge would rule against it, and the, the defendant in this case would bring it up again, then I could reintroduce it, and I would reintroduce it in toto, okay? So then it was brought up again. And uh, that's a tactic, anyway, and that's what I do. All right, I'm glad you brought that up. Let's address it, Doug. Just like our whole community, the whole time I've been in this, is all of us want to fight it from the bottom up. So every time you go to court, you're going in there and claiming jurisdiction. For those of you who don't know, in a court, if jurisdiction is challenged, that challenge has to be met and overcome before anything can proceed. Okay. But, but all nobody had it on file with the Secretary of State, the head guy. We didn't know to do that back then. So you're putting it in front of prosecutors, judges, appellate level, bureaucrats, and every one of them have a vested interest to see you lose. However, exactly. if you've got that on file with their boss... What kind of an effect do you think that has? It Powerful. neuters them. It neuters them. Yep. Yep. Well, and over that, all these 30 this, years, hold on, Doug. To... Over all these 30 years, have any of you heard of anybody that's been successful challenging jurisdiction from the bottom up? One case. Tell me, somebody that's been successful doing it. Not me. Crickets. I hear crickets. Roger, there is something rather intriguing I discovered in the past couple of days on my investigation into their processes, appeals and rebuttals and clarifications. The OIG for the Passport Division and the Secretary of State has a diplomatic immunity or document authentication section. And I'm thinking that might be the location to submit documents also to, uh, or should get to, when you send them to the Secretary of State. I can't verify they actually do when you send them to there. I'm in the process. In fact, they take my processing, uh, which means nothing, yet reminds me of the commercial where they had to, the guy calling up about his car. He says, yeah, I got four of my best guys working on it right now. They're sitting out on the hood eating lunch and so i'm not sure that processing is a good thing because it's a vague and ambiguous term that doesn't mean anything and i'm working on following up uh, with the passport office if i have good luck i'll share that number tomorrow for those having problems with the la passport office which uh, well. is particularly correct. Well, we got Brent on tomorrow. I don't know if we're going to get into this depth. We can. We may not. Depends on Brent. Well, I'd like I, to turn it over to him. Well, we can certainly discuss it. And I want this is a continuing discussion. I've been doing it now for about seven and a half years. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. And we, we keep finding you. out these little nuggets and stuff in better ways. But the, the honestly, the simple way for most people, and I think Thomas and I think Chris are both in unique circumstances circumstances, okay? And that's why I wanted to have this program today, because as I said, I know 
personally a two or three people that are right on the verge of doing this. And I wanted to be able to have this program to give people that are considering doing this a heads up. And if anybody has any backlash from these people on your application through the procedure of processing, Chris, because it is a processing deal, then I want us to, we, we need to know about it and address it. Unfortunately, for those of you who are just coming into this that might have to go through this like Thomas, uh, it, it may be a necessity and it may not be. If it's a necessity, I'll be real, I'll be sorry for you, but I'll be glad for what we're doing because it means that we're having an impact on them up there. And that's what we want, isn't it? Absolutely. Okay. So and if I may, yes. if I may add to this, um, you know, process is the word. It, it uh, indicates proceeding. And if I uh, can uh, relate it to the biblical uh, thing, uh, uh, doctrine, it, it's, you know, don't, turn back. Okay. Stay on the path. Okay. Well, we're moving on a path that's going forward. I'm not going backwards. I'm going forward, but I have to practice basics. Basics. You never become an expert at anything. If you stop practicing basics and the basic thing I'm uh, alluding to here is you have to, the affidavits are a claim of who you are. And if you are going to go into these courts, you have to be a belligerent claimant. So the affidavit is something that when it's unrebutted, Stands as evidence. If it's been filed. You cannot, you cannot overemphasize that. If it's been filed with the Secretary of State of the United States. Otherwise, half of what you said isn't going to apply. Okay? Why? Because he's the Lord of the federal manor. You're in voluntary servitude. If you're in voluntary servitude, you go to the Lord of the manor to volunteer out. You couldn't go to the other serf or any of his assistants and volunteer out. You had to go to the Lord of the manor to volunteer out because that's who you contracted with when you volunteered in. And, and as evidence, uh, Roger, of being able to volunteer in and volunteer out, it's always you want to keep your affidavit, your claim, current. So uh, some months ago, I, I got a uh, piece of uh, some papers in the mail where I was chosen for jury duty. So I filled everything out. And then I, I called uh that department here locally, the county department. And I said, you know, I, I just want to make sure that you receive this and et cetera. So sometime just a few days before I was to show up for jury duty, I got a call from the local, I, I think it was the prosecutor. And anyway, and he, and we had a nice conversation, you know, I'm not an angry guy, <laughs> you know, I, uh, 
I, I know how to deal w- with uh, this kind of thing now, as because uh, I'm I'm not as angry as I once was <laughs> when I found out about this stuff. Yeah, I, w- I was I was I was like a hornet that you stirred up my nest, and uh, so anyway, you're like so, a uh, Doug, the, the guy called me up. Doug, and I, you're you're like a fine wine you've mellowed with age. <laughs> I'll drink to that. Uh, so, anyway, uh, and, and uh, let me tip my glass right now. Well, never mind. But anyway, uh, so uh, so he asked me some questions, and they were they were they weren't. This was a short conversation. So he says, "This isn't a quote or anything," but he said, "So you're not a U.S. resident?" I said, "No." And he said, and you're not a U.S. citizen? And I said, no. And he said, um, so um, uh, So I said, what I'm speaking about is that I dwell in this area, in this county, okay? And, but... My political status is a non-resident, non-14th Amendment citizen. And he went, okay, you don't have to come in. There you go. Boom. There <laughs> you go. Was it. Okay. Okay. They, did he challenge you on that, Doug? When, no, you, said, when you said you're he, not he, a no. citizen of the no, United States a- and you're not a resident, they accept it. Because they have to. Yeah, and I told them, I said, my political status is a non-resident, non-U.S. citizen. Okay? Uh, And whatever else I said to him. And, uh, you know, there was a little bit of silence on the phone. He said, okay, thank you. You don't have to show up. And that was it. Well, see, it's just like when I went through and got that state ID. She says, are you a citizen of the United States? Nope. Are you a resident? Nope. What's your address and the rest of the questions? That'll be $4, Mr. Sales. Step over there and get your picture taken. And I had my Florida State-issued ID as a non-citizen of the United States, non-resident, within about five minutes. I went back and to the, the post office. Let me finish. Let me finish. I went back to the post office yeah. with that, and the guy accepted it because he couldn't say no. And and the last thing that I uh, well that I want to say is that probably around two thousand uh, years ago. No, I'm not that old, but uh, about the year two thousand. AD, I revoked and told them to remove me from the voter rolls because that is a nexus to uh, their system. No, no, it's, con- so, no uh, it's not, Doug. It's not a nexus. It's confirmation of the nexus. Okay, but whatever. I mean, that you have well, to remove very, yourself no, from the voter the, rail, rolls. The reason I interject is because that's a misnomer in our entire community that you're doing something that creates the nexus. What you did to create the nexus was being born. 
Everything else from that point on is confirmation of the nexus. So are you saying, so so I didn't have to uh, remove my uh, vote from the voter rolls? No, is, is that not, what you're not if, you've, not if you've sent the, the affidavit to the Secretary of State because that covers all that. Now, what you could do, and this is John and Glenn did this, and before they ever had a, they, we didn't know about this Secretary of State thing back when they were getting prosecuted. And mm. I think one of the reasons they did get prosecuted is because John started running against, who's the damn uh, Utah senator that's been up there since old Blue was a pup? Uh, his name escapes Brian me. Brian Hatch, uh, Hatch, Orrin Hatch. Orrin Hatch. He was running against Orrin Hatch for si- for Senate, and Glenn got out and started running against the guy that was the representative, and they're out on the campaign trail talking about all this tax stuff, citizens of the United States, different. Well, man, they came after him like crazy then, but before they did that, Doug, they went to the voter registration office and changed it to electors. They weren't voters anymore. They were electors, as is in the Constitution. I don't know how they did it, but I know they got it done. Yeah, I understand uh, some aspects of uh, once you remove yourself from being a voter that you could claim uh, being an elector, and then you take precedent over everybody else. Correct, but why? Because, a, because your original yeah. status is higher than a citizen of the United States under the 14th Amendment. That status is secondary and subservient to the state citizen U.S. national. To clarify, and the 14th Amendment, the language is except for purposes of being in rebellion. You are considered to be in rebellion against your lawful de jure state government by voting for federal officers. Therefore, you're considered to be a felon, a criminal. I That's why mm-hmm. you are subject to the power of Congress when you vote testifying to your criminality. I can't imagine why anybody would want to participate in voting in that fiasco we see on a daily basis up there. But hell, some people may want to. If you want to, go change your status from a voter to an elector down at the registration, secretary of registration for elections. That's where you do it. One of the things that I have observed is it's clear to me that if you are a voter, then you are a proxy voter and you've transferred your vote to the representatives to use as they wish as opposed to your will because you were incompetent and you donated your vote, contributed it, or otherwise gifted it to the representatives to do their will instead of your will. If you're still a voter and voting, you're participating in the fraud. Well, I think uh, an important aspect of that is will. Okay, what is your will? It's like I chose to exempt myself from the tax system because I could not support what they were doing with the digits that I were was um, contributing. 
Well, they don't do anything with your tax dollars. According to the Grace Report, I got dogs going crazy again here. According to the Grace Report, not one penny of your income tax goes to the day-to-day -day running of the federal government. All of your income tax does go to pay the bondholders on their coupon payment. I'm going to mute out and stop these dogs here so you guys converse. Well, what I was saying was I'm not talking about necessarily the running of the this uh, fraudulent um, imposter type of government. I'm saying I decided I would not contribute. I don't care where the money goes. I know it's all being done for evil. So that was my personal decision to uh, stop contributing. Yep. Well, good, and and we all should do that. And, and oh, decision to uh, stop contributing. Somebody's got their radio well, on, and we're getting and, that and feedback. We all should do that. And oh, decision. All right, to, uh, who's got the radio on? Thank you. Um, so as we get to the last segment of the program here, let's get back to our our guy here that's focused. We're focused on today, Thomas. Do you have any other questions or inquiries while we got a little time left and we got this great forum of minds on here today? I guess Thomas isn't with us. He must have dropped off. He well, he's, he's, runs a business, so he probably had something come in to do with business. Uh, let's see. Who's on with us? Uh, Doug's still here. Chris is still here. Well, I, yeah, I'll, I'll, say one, I'll say one last thing. Yep, see. The meaning of belligerent is something is kicking you off so much from your very core of belief that you cannot uh, contribute to it. You cannot, you know, go along to get along. And that's why you're belligerent. This isn't just uh, just some uh, meaningless term. It, it really it, uh, accrues to being ticked off. Okay? I don't think let's like look, use let's, another word. Let's look at it. Let's look at it. That word belligerent. You can be belligerent if you go in and just stand in the prosecutor's office when you're talking to him and stand your ground. Okay. Now, most people's connotation, I think, of the word belligerent is if you went into the prosecutor's office with a baseball bat and threatened him if he didn't do what you wanted him to do. But that's another not word. what well, we want to do. Of, My mama taught me. Hold on, Doug. Uh, My mama taught me that flies come to honey better than they do to vinegar. Indeed. Uh, and that, that's being what I was just going to say. Defender of your rights. Hold, could hold be on, belligerent. Chris. Hold let I've let, got breaking news. Okay, you got breaking news. Whip it on us. The Supreme Court upholds the Yakima Treaty Right to Travel and Trade. March 19, 2019, the Supreme Court issued its decision in the matter of Washington State Department of Licensing versus Cougar Den Incorporated number 16-1498. This is the treaty law, which is supreme law of the land, like the 1855 treaty at issue here, constitute federal law that preempts conflicting state law. So that's one I will send to you. Yep, and that's because it was done in a treaty, and treaties override the Constitution. 
It's the supreme law of the land. That's okay, correct. and, and, and when a treaty is validated and verified, who votes on it? Uh, the sovereign nations. Nope. The Senate. The yeah, House Congress. of Representatives never sees it. The Senate. That's why they passed the 17th Amendment. So that they could get senators cut from the states, get them in there so they can bribe them, so they can run treaties through that override the Constitution. Wow. I'm speechless. Okay. And you've probably never heard anybody else in our community make that statement, and I guarantee it's true. So as we get into the well, last just, year, Doug, go on. I'll just say. Go ahead. Well, I'll just say that the affidavit you've been proposing and taught on, et cetera, is the most powerful um, claim one can make. Yep. And it has teeth. It's backed up. Um, and I uh, advise everyone and anyone listening to uh, delve into this and make their own decision. And uh, if they find it to be something they want to do, then do it because you have to be, this is, you have to be belligerent. Okay. You have to attack. Okay. Belligerence isn't going in and saying, uh, you know, with a baseball bat, being convinced of your conviction so that you go in with conviction and your written statement in the form of an affidavit is exactly that. And unrebutted, it stands as evidence of who you are, what you stand for, etc. Well, and it's the most, um, it, it is such a powerful defensive tool okay. offensive offensive Even, this is an offensive tool we're being proactive both. here yeah but it's it is both it is both it, it, it is uh kind of uh, i hate to say this but it's probably the magic bullet everybody's been looking well, for well i'm gonna tell you what, what i have thought for about as, as this all came to me in a number of years, and you've heard me say this on the air, this is the key to the matrix. It's the key to the damn matrix. And if you ain't willing to die for your convictions, stand for them. I'd rather them die, but, but I'm willing to uh, put everything up that not that I'm uh, a uh, a rich man or anything I'm not but uh if you're not willing to do that then you're on the fence and you're just you're not really convicted well let's you know, use, you're not really convinced let's use the old cliche that was floating around about 25 plus years ago Doug if you won't stand for something you'll fall for anything 
Amen. <laughs> okay. Well, listen, we're uh, we're pretty close to the end of the show here today. Obviously, we got Brent on tomorrow. Looking forward to what he has to say. There have been a couple of, there was another uh, important Supreme Court decision. I don't know if it's the one you were referencing, but it was decided eight to one on notice. It wasn't the one that you were, uh, uh, now that I think about it, Chris, I sent it to Brent yesterday, the story last night, and uh, the whole thing was decided on notice against Sue in a foreign country, and the Supreme Court says, nope, you gave notice to the embassy in Washington, D.C., and you should have sent it over there to the Middle East and ruled against them. So we may talk about that tomorrow. I had an experience with that, not proper notice, when I was fighting my summons years ago, and I overcame it, okay? Uh, and uh, so maybe we can discuss that tomorrow with Brent. We'll see what's on his mind. Anybody got any parting, uh, parting statements here before the whistler comes in on us? Thank you. Well, yeah, I have one of improper notice, and I'll bring it up tomorrow, Uh of um it's it's not long-winded but uh it was certainly improper notice and there was fraud involved in it with the the local um small court uh uh but i i dealt with that the judge ruled against me and uh so uh that's a improper notice wow the supreme court is uh making uh i was kind of blown away by what chris just brought up that's wonderful yeah, that's a real i wanted you to send that like case it. so we can talk about it tomorrow that's more important probably than the one on notice in my particular personal incident i'd been summoned for books and records and i decided to fight them and in the paperwork i sent to fight them i didn't properly notice everybody because it's a pain in the ass to do all this stuff and they brought that up i went in and found a case where that had overcome that because of ignorance like I had at the point and they said all form the objection is all form and no substance and we rolled on to a little mini trial uh, listen we'll see you tomorrow with Brent guys very good discussion today I think we covered a lot of really important ground and I hope that it helps some folks out there with this uh, deliberation and I wanted to say one thing that Brian was saying and reinforce this if you want to learn this stuff cold Teach it to somebody else. If you really want to understand something, you teach it, and then you'll understand it. I'll see you all tomorrow. Have a great day.